You're listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Tumer. Hello, I'm John Paulette. And I'm Mary Jo Tumer. You know, Mary, I uh, once worked for a division of a Fortune 50 company. Uh, The company was one of the great historic companies. Uh, I worked for kind of... Uh, the butthole division of it. They, <laughs> we were we were not very good at all at what we did, but uh, we had some leadership there, and they loved slogans, and they uh, they would put them like on posters and put them all over the plant and the office, and one of them was zero defect, and this was a big program, uh, and I remember this one manager leader used to say. Uh, no one can ever be better than you if you always do everything right. And he talked about this all the time. Now, the fact of the matter is we didn't make that good of a product at all. So it wasn't a question <laughs> of doing it all, all right. And then we had a lot of signs uh, about our safety program. Uh, that didn't work. Uh, you know, the one sign always showed you know, we've been two days since an accident uh, went on on here. So that kind of stuff went on and on and on. But there's there's a bunch of ideas. We have one of those big strategic planning meetings. Remember where they get all the executives together and you do a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunity, and threats. I can hear in your voice, you remember what what is terrible. That was horrible. Oh, they were all, they never did anything at all. And, uh, I always loved, you know, when they talk about weaknesses, uh, nobody ever wanted to put up a weakness. They, you know, the only weakness would be, well, I guess we probably work too hard. And maybe that's a weakness in a way. But any weakness we have is really <laughs> our strength. But true story. So we have whiteboards uh, or, or flip charts, rather, those white sheets all over the place. And we've done the strengths and everything. Somebody, and I've never known who it, uh, who it was, at like lunchtown time, went over to the strengths list and wrote on it, we put up the best posters in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> this, oh, my God, that's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> this did not amuse the leadership. But I was thinking about it because both you and I uh, heard uh, – Uh, yesterday, a former Republican governor toss in a a phrase that the Democrats are all about opening borders and closing schools. And so I thought about, uh, we put up the best posters because the Republicans who have demonstrated again in Texas, as they demonstrated in the Corona uh, virus, they don't do anything, but boy, those guys can put up posters, can't they? Yeah, that's that's a great story because it's so true. I when I heard that yesterday, I thought, okay, here we go. This is about messaging. It's the thing that the Democrats do terribly, and the Republicans do so well, and the Democrats cannot figure out or haven't learned that it isn't about governing for the Republicans. It's about winning, not governing. It's totally different things. But a good slogan will help you win 
once you get the job, you don't really care about doing the job. So I was thinking about, um, there's been uh, some press on a conversation that Obama had, I think maybe a year ago or so when his book first came out about the lessons of the Affordable Care Act. And his takeaway was he believed that the Republicans wanted to work with him to get something done for the country. And that if you compromised and found the middle ground, you could you know, move, in this case, the health care situation forward. You could do what's best for the country. And what he learned from that is, uh-uh, didn't matter. He could do make any compromise there was. The environment that he was living in was not allowing the Republican Party, even those who had compromised in the past, to compromise with him just wasn't going to happen. And they, I don't think Obama ever learned that lesson while he was in office. I think he continued to think, we'll work together, we'll make this law better, we'll do some other stuff. But the decision had been made. Day one of his presidency, there was going to be no compromise. And that seed had been planted 20 years earlier, 25 years earlier. Well, with one person who we have not talked about, Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, absolutely. And we need to get to, to him because he's a key part of this. You know, you mentioned messaging as opposed to doing the job. And nobody was better at messaging on behalf of whoever the Republican was in office at the time than Rushbaugh. I, you know, Rush Limbaugh never had really a unified philosophy. He was against the libs. You know, own the lib. That was the the whole thing. But I'm thinking in particular about Barack Obama and the uh, Affordable Care Act, which, you know, this was absolute gospel for Republicans that they were opposed to it. I know you and I have talked about this. I have never, despite how many years have gone on, really gotten a straight answer from Republicans about why they were opposed to it. Heck, it was a Republican program. It was a conservative program that he put in. But they had some messages that just caught the American attention. And one of them was death panels. Remember that death panels are going to mm-hmm. be able to decide whether grandma lives or, or dies. Actually, as it's going to turn out, We're going to find out that Donald Trump and his inattention to the pandemic is the one who's going to decide whether grandma lives or or dies. But back on the messaging, uh, remember how they grabbed around Obama's statement that if you like your doctor, you'll be able to keep it, which, in fact, was a much more nuanced statement than that. It was pulled somewhat out of context. And even what they were criticizing was more nuanced. What the Affordable Care Act did was outlaw trash insurance policies, ones that did nothing. You thought you had an insurance policy, but you really didn't. You had something that was almost like an indemnity. It it paid you some money on days that, that you were sick. They grabbed all that messaging, but the second half of what you said, they never really wanted to do anything. Do you remember how often we were told by Donald Trump or by other Republicans, that their plan 
for revising the healthcare system was going to be ready, what, like next week or... And it was going to be... It's going to be beautiful. You're going to have the best healthcare. And the funniest one of all was when Kaylee walked out with the big book and plopped it down (laughs) for Leslie Stahl. I think it was, here, here's our plan. But Leslie looked in and it wasn't, it wasn't that. It was like a kid turning something in to their English teacher and the English teacher opens it and says, oh, that's your science project from fourth grade. You know, I mean, really, (laughs) but that, that has been their thing. They love the slogans of deregulation, free market, capitalism. But because they're not willing to do the work, what it means is millions of Texans do not have power or water. So what is the lesson ultimately that the Biden folks should take from that? I think it's an understanding of where the Republican Party is. So without being critical of any individual, the party itself, and this is not unique to me, this thought, is captive of their base that is captive of a media world that um, that it's not just about the lies. It's, a, it's like about a misunderstanding or a lack of information or a lack of truth about these different issues. So if I'm Chuck Grassley, for example, so just to pick on him, because he was a compromiser guy until he understood that the party had shifted in such a way that the penalty for compromising was you would lose. So the, the um, primary process, the Republican primary process, had become such that anybody who was going to compromise to make things better wasn't going to win. So if you're Biden coming in and you're like, we're going to compromise, we're going to work together, Already, one month in, he understands there are no compromises to be had. If he's going to push his agenda forward, he's got to just do that kind of, excuse the expression, balls out. Get his guys in place, his people in place. Vote, whether you do away with the filibuster or you use whatever Senate tricks there are. And then let, then message it, right? Get the right messaging out there. And then let the changes seep in because ultimately what happened with the Affordable Care Act is that the changes sept, um, seeped in to our, not just our party politic, but the way that we do health care. And you couldn't change it now if you wanted to. People expect their care to, for, you know, their yearly annual stuff to be free. They expect pre-existing conditions to be covered. They expect there not to be lifetime caps. There's no way to change that. And that was a little bit the genius of Obama. As much as we've complained about him, John, he is an incrementalist. And he understood you cannot disrupt a system that is one-sixth of the economy overnight. And honestly, I was working in a corporate head of HR, people know, when Obamacare was passed. And it was disruptive. First of all, they're all new kinds of requirements, so much stuff for us to learn and the brokers to learn overnight. And that disrupted our day-to-day business of providing health insurance to employees. 
So you have to do things slowly. But for us on a progressive side, Biden just got to go and then get some good people in their messaging so that he doesn't lose. Well, and I think we as Democrats and Joe Biden need to make a distinction. I I get it is in Joe Biden's DNA to want to be a unifier and be bipartisan. That that's just part of him. He ran up. I get that. We all have a little bit of an instinct to that. But let's make a difference. The country is giving bipartisan support to the COVID relief bill. You know, we're seeing approval ratings in the 60%. Joe Biden himself has an approval rating of 62%. There, you know, this in this nation at this point, 62% is overwhelming. It is in any administration. There is bipartisan support. In what is a gerrymandered Congress and a rigged Senate because of the way Electoral College and Senate and a lot of other things work, the fact that we don't get bipartisan support from Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and Chuck Grassley does not mean that we are not taking a bipartisan approach. I think, in fact, Joe Biden is reaching across this. One, for instance, I'm not in total agreement with him on, but I think he's clearly reaching to a working class voter. It is very popular among the Democratic Party to forgive $50,000 of student debt. Joe Biden is not going to do that. And he said it clearly. He's willing to do 10000 of it. And I actually think there's kind of a class quality to, uh, to that, uh, that that maybe makes some sense, maybe doesn't. But I think this goes to your point. We can be bipartisan and we can at the same time message better. But I think we have to quit being so nice. And when Chuck Grassley talks, we should get Jen Psaki up, the uh, press secretary, and she should say Chuck Grassley is an old idiot. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) When I don't think so either, but picture, picture Jen Psaki. Whenever Ted Cruz says anything, she should simply say Cancun. And that's it. No, no more. No more answer than that. What do you think? Would this work? I don't know. Well, um, they could try it. They got to try something. So, all right, back to watching the Absolutely. And I, that's my, I have to conclude this with a, uh, uh, with a personal thing. My partner, my girlfriend, uh, person closest to me, Pam, is from Lincoln uh, Wood, Illinois. She went to high school at uh, Niles West, which is in Skokie, where she lives, and graduated in 1970 with her classmate, Merrick Garland. So we have a tight connection here, so tight that I'm a little confused why I was not invited to these hearings. That's right. That's one degree of separation. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So we're rooting for Merrick here. Uh, It's going to be really exciting. All right. Have a great day. Bye. All right. Sibling Talk is a JMP production. Theme song by David Paulette.